You're listening to the CCF Saturday Night Service Podcast. To connect with us, you may chat us at m.me slash elevatemain. We hope you enjoy today's talk. So, welcome to the final day of our missions month. Are you excited? Come on, are you excited? Woo! <clears throat> You know, this has been really a blessed time to be able to see so many people asking more questions about how we can be involved in not only what's happening in the Philippines, but all around the world. So for us, it is exciting, but we're not finished yet because today we're going to be talking about how you can be involved. Are you ready for that? Yes. Two of you are ready. That's great. How about the other? Okay. Anyway. So I just want to do a little bit of review, first of all, about what happened during the previous uh, couple of weeks. So what have we been talking about? You remember Jimmy Seibert. He came and spoke to us, and his message was love, listen, and obey. And he was sharing with us, starting from his experience, where he understood what God was calling us to. Remember, he read this passage, Mark 12, verses 28 to 31. It says, what commanded is, is the foremost of all. Jesus answered, the foremost is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all of your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater commandment than these. You know, when he shared that, he was telling about his own personal story, and what had happened to him was he had come into a relationship with Christ, and then he was trying to learn what's important in the Christian life. And he read this, and he started talking with his roommate, and he said, do you know anybody that actually does this? I mean, loves God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, with all their strength, and they had to look at each other and say, you know we really haven't ever met anybody like that. And so they were so challenged, and they said, let's be the ones. And so for that next three months during that summer, that's when they said, we're just going to do whatever God tells us to do. And at the end of that process, what happened? Well, probably most of you don't remember anything else that Jimmy Seibert said, but if you were there, you might remember about the crocodiles, right? How many of you remember the crocodiles? Okay, some of you that were here. They went into the jungles in Papua New Guinea to be able to share the gospel with people that had never heard because that's what you do when you love people that don't know Jesus yet. So they, as young people in college, they went to this crazy place and they shared the gospel and God did amazing things. So that was the first message that we heard, that we should love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that will lead us to love other people, especially people that don't yet know about God. Now, the second message was this guy. He's over here somewhere. That guy over there. Now, some of you are wondering, you know, is that a real beard that he has? It really is. And I, I have to tell you, Kyle Barrington is a guy that has a passion for reaching out to our religious cousins. Now, because we're being videoed here, I can't tell you what that means. But you can figure it out. They're not Christians, but they're religious, okay? 
he has found that that beard opens doors for him to be able to talk with people. So don't criticize you know, this grungy looking American guy with his really weird looking beard because he does it for a reason, okay? So what did Kyle share with us last week? His message was to obey God and begin your, miss, uh, your mission. And he was talking about the conversion of Saul and the role that Ananias played in that. And I just want to read one of the key verses from that in Acts chapter 9, verses 13 to 15. It says, but Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. Kyle mentioned to us that God could have used the vision that Paul, that Saul saw to bring him to Christ. But that wasn't the way that God works. God uses us to be the one to bring people to Christ. He leads the way, he opens the door, he, he makes the path easy for us. He's already working in people's lives, just like in, in the Apostle Paul, before he came to know the Lord, he had a vision. But it took a person named Ananias to obey him to actually go and share about the gospel with him. And then as a result of that, what happened? Well, he began that mission that God wanted him to go on. And that mission, it turns out, where it says he's supposed to go to the Gentiles and the kings and the sons of Israel, what does that remind you of? The Great Commission, right? We are to go to all nations with the gospel. And again, if you look at what that passage says, it says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to follow all that I commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And Kyle pointed out to us the scope, the task, the process, and the promise of the Great Commission. What is the task? It is to make disciples. What are we supposed to do? We are supposed to... Hello? What are we supposed to do? Make disciples. Who is supposed to do it? All of us. That's everyone, not just a few really super talented, gifted individuals, not necessarily people that have been Christians for a long time. In fact, Kyle pointed out that the Apostle Paul, after he came to know Christ, quickly started sharing the gospel with others. Within a few weeks, he already had his own disciples. So don't wait until you have completed GLC level 15 before you start your discipleship group. Start right now. Then it talked about the scope. What's the scope of the Great Commission? It is all nations. It's not just the Philippines. It's not just America. It's not just places where the gospel has already been. It's all nations. And that's why we're having Missions Month. And what's the process? We teach them to do what? To obey everything that Jesus commanded. Now, what did Jesus just command? That they should make disciples. So if you are a disciple, 
What should you do? Make disciples. And what should your disciples do? Make disciples. Ah, you're catching on. Very good. And this continues from generation to generation to generation. And what's the promise if we do it? The promise, Jesus said, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, when Jesus come in, comes into our life, when we receive him as our Savior and Lord, where is he? He is now in our life, right? But when we start obeying him to make disciples, we experience his presence, his manifest presence and power in our lives in a way that we don't experience if we don't obey and make disciples. So that's what our brother Kyle shared yesterday. So today, what I want to share with you is that we are to obey God and fulfill, not just begin, but actually complete the mission that he has given to us. And today we're gonna to be talking about how do we actually do that? And I'm going to be telling a story that probably some of you learned when you were in Sunday school and didn't have any clue that it had anything to do with missions. But I'm not gonna tell you that, I'm gonna pray first and then tell you the story. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you that during this missions month, we have learned so much about what our role is in the world and your heart for the world. So Father, I pray that right now you would speak through me as we look at your word and then look at what you want us to do, that you would move our hearts to action. Lord, we desire to be obedient to you. We desire to fulfill the mission that you have given to us. So Lord, speak to us through the power of your Holy Spirit. Give us not only ears to hear, but hearts and responsive spirits to listen and to obey. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So, obey God and fulfill your mission. And the story we're going to tell you about is Jonah, which we already read most of this. But let me just go back and, and go through some of this. It says, first of all, the, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee from, to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it with them to Tarshish. Tar Tarshish. This is really hard. Okay. To Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now, there's some interesting things here, but the first thing I want to point out to you is the geography. I have a little map here. So in the map, you can see, so where is Jonah? He is in Joppa, right? And where is Nineveh? It's that way. And where is Tarshish? It's that way. Do you see any problem here? Where did God tell him to go? To go that way. Now, some of you don't really do maps really well, so let me just give this a little bit more simplified version. Okay, Jonah is there, Nineveh is there, he's supposed to go there, but instead he goes there. Is that clear? He didn't obey, he did exactly the opposite of what God told him to do. Have you ever done that? I hate to say it, but probably a lot of us have known what God wanted us to do, but we didn't want to do it. 
And so we went the opposite direction. In fact, we'll see that when you do that, you don't actually fool God, okay? You may think that you're getting away with it, but trust me, God knows where you are and what you're doing and what you should be doing. So don't think that you've escaped his notice. Now it goes on, well, let's look at a couple of interesting things here. First of all, it says go to Nineveh. Why is it that Nineveh is significant here? Well, Nineveh was part of the Assyrian Empire. During that time, that was the biggest empire on earth. And they were notoriously brutal people. These are not nice guys. In fact, within a generation, Jonah, being a prophet, knew that they were going to conquer the northern kingdom of Israel. You know what their favorite way of conquering a city was? They would lay siege to the city. Do you know what that means? They would take an army and, and circle the entire city and they would lock it up so that they couldn't get any food or goods or anything into the city. And you know how they conquered cities? Because people starved to death inside the cities. Isn't that a nice strategy? I mean, these are really nice guys, right? We'll just, you know, keep them from eating until they start eating their own children. And there's literally in the Bible stories about people, Israelites, when they were under siege, that they ended up being so hungry that they even ate their own children. And you would think that the Assyrians, you know, would have some compassion somewhere, but they didn't. There's even inscriptions in the walls on some of the old ruins of Assyria that show the techniques that they used to torture people. And they showed piles of bodies and they were celebrating people all happy about all of the dead bodies that were piled up. Do you like Nineveh so far? Neither did Jonah. Jonah said, God, who cares about the Ninevites? These people are cruel. They don't deserve any mercy at all. But Jonah had forgotten something, that the role of Israel wasn't just to receive God's blessing. It wasn't just for them to be blessed, but their role was to be a blessing to the nations, that their role was to be able to show people what God is like, not just to hold the blessings to themselves. Look at what the original blessing to Abraham was supposed to be. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 2 and 3, when God was forming this new nation, it says, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. So far, sounds good. Wow, I'm going to be blessed. Isn't that cool? And make you your name great. Great, I'm going to be famous. Cool. And you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, what was the role of the descendants of Abraham to be? They would be blessed by God so that they could be a blessing to the nations. It was never intended for them just to hold on to the blessing. It wasn't for them just to be really smug about, you know, we are God's people and you aren't. Ha, ha, ha. That wasn't the attitude. The attitude was, this is what a people is like 
that is blessed by God. And guess what? He wants to bless you too. And ultimately, the final fulfillment of this was when Jesus came to die on the cross, not only for the Israelites, but for all nations, because through him, all nations are blessed. Another verse that talks about this is in Psalm chapter 67, verses 1 and 2. It says, God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among the nations. God blesses us that all the ends of the earth may fear him. You know, when God blesses us, whether it's in the Philippines or us in our family or us personally, the intent of his blessing is not to hold on to it. The intent of his blessing is that it would be shared with others so that people would know who Jesus is, that they would fear the Lord, that they would be able to honor him. So when God blesses us, and I praise God when he blesses us, do you ever get blessed? Two of you also, same two people. Do you get blessed? Yes. I think all of us have been blessed in so many ways. Have you ever thought that the reason that you are blessed is not just for you to enjoy it, but that the whole world would be blessed through you? Isn't that an amazing thought that through us, God could bless the whole world? And we go back to Jonah. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Now, some of us, we think, well, God has special compassion for those people that are basically nice people. And as I mentioned a moment ago, the Ninevites were not nice. In fact, they were evil. In fact, they were some of the worst people that you can imagine. God doesn't choose people to bring the good news to just because you are really nice or you are better than other people. I think one of the things that all of us need to recognize is that it is just God's grace that allows us to be able to have a relationship with him. It's not because we are good. You know, I wasn't good when Jesus came to meet me. And I think if you look at your own life, you probably weren't somebody that most people would say, oh, this person really needs, to. I mean, they're a good person. They deserve to be Christian. Most of us, we didn't. Either we were proud, we were arrogant, maybe we were unholy in many different ways, and yet God in his grace reached out to us. So when we look at God's concern for Nineveh, we see a little bit about our, ourselves as well. But then, what did Jonah do? He flees. And how does he flee? He flees from the presence of the Lord. Isn't that dumb? Have you ever thought about that? Do you think that you can flee from the presence of God? Where is God? Well, if you read in Psalm chapter 139, this is what it says. It says, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, you are there. If my, I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. He is giving us all directions. Where is heaven? Up. Where is Sheol? 
down. Where is the dawn? To the east. Where is the sea? For them, it was the Mediterranean Sea. It was to the west. What he's saying is that no matter where you go, as high as you can go, as low as you can go, as far to the east as you can go, as far to the west as you can go, God is already there. So it's kind of dumb for Jonah to think that he is going to flee from the presence of God. But you know, I think some of us do that, right? Some of us, when we are in disobedience to God, when we don't want to do what he wants us to do, we think that somehow we can get away from God. But you know what? God loves us so much that he won't let us do that. He won't allow you to remain in disobedience. And we'll see in a moment that God had to do some amazing things in order to get Jonah back on track. So what happened next? Well, he gets into the, the boat. Um, he's in the ship, and a typhoon came. I thought today's rain was very appropriate because probably you felt like you were going to drown on your way here. Okay, well, that's what happened to him. And so the people on the ship are so scared, they think they're going to die, and so they're throwing all of the stuff overboard so they won't sink, and they're rowing as hard as they can, and they can't do anything. And so finally, they say, you know, who's the cause of this? There must be someone that we can fault. So it says, come, let us cast lots so we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck. So they cast lots, and the lot fell to, of course, to Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He said to them, I am a Hebrew. And get this, I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. It doesn't sound like he was very much acting as a person that feared the Lord. In fact, he was fleeing away from God. And it goes on and it says, the men became extremely frightened and they said to him, how could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Imagine that. They knew that he was fleeing from the Lord because he told them. Now what should Jonah have been doing instead of telling them that he was fleeing from the Lord? He should have been getting out God's way to heaven and sharing the gospel with all of these people. But he didn't. He just told them, well, I'm a prophet, but I am trying to get away from God. Here he has the opportunity, and apparently they are interested in who he is, and he doesn't even share anything about his God. Instead, he gets them in trouble and brings a storm on them. Well, to go to the end of the story, they tried to, you know, to escape from the storm. They couldn't. And so Jonah says, the only way you're going to escape is if you throw me into the sea. And so we pick it up in verse 15. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Imagine this, these pagan guys that were worshiping other gods, when they saw the power of God, when the, calm, the calmness of the sea hit, they started worshiping God. So Jonah, instead of being a witness for God, actually had to be thrown into the sea for them to see the power of God so that they would repent. Wouldn't it have been easier if he would have just told them? <laughs> you know, you can know God. Here is 
God's way to heaven. Okay, anyway. So, at the end of it, they, excuse me, he gets thrown into the sea, and then the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Even though he wanted to flee away from God, God wasn't going to let him get away with it. In fact, he saved him because he wants to give him a second chance. Isn't it amazing how God, even when we are fleeing away from him, often chases after us to give us a second chance? How many of you have experienced second chance from God? I think almost all of us. Maybe hundredth chance from the Lord. But don't test him. Now, what happened after that? So, when he was in the fish, he was saved. That was the time he finally prayed. So imagine all of this time, he's not praying. And then finally in chapter 2, it says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the stomach of the fish. And he said, I called out of my distress to the Lord, and he answered me. I cried for help from the depth of Sheol. You heard my voice, blah, 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 blah. Now, why do I say that? He didn't say anything about repenting from his sin. Now, I have a confession, okay? So how many people know what chat GPT is? Okay, you guys know. You're young. You know this. Well, I actually was using BARD. Do you know what BARD is? BARD is chat GPT, but it's the Microsoft ver or the Google version, okay? So I thought, I I'm just going to ask, what would the outline of a message be if I asked BARD? about Jonah, okay, I'm not using it, okay, I'm not using it, don't worry, I'm not using it, but I just wanted to see, and an interesting thing, and this is why I know that Bard isn't very accurate, because it said Jonah repented when he got into the whale. I don't think he did, and I think as you look later, that's not really what happened. He didn't repent, he was just happy to be alive, he was just happy to be saved. And I think sometimes that happens to us. We get ourselves into a situation because we have disobeyed God. God rescues us out of the situation. And instead of repenting, we just say, praise God, I'm still alive. I survived this whatever. Instead of saying, God, okay, what do you really want me to do? So think about that. The next time God rescues you, it is because he wants you to repent and to do what he is calling you to do. And then the last verse I think is really fun. It says, then the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. It didn't just like place him there. It's like Jonah, <laughs> wow. I don't think God was still very pleased with Jonah. He could have done it nice and gently, but no, he had the fish vomit him onto the shore. Because I don't think that Jonah at that point has really gotten the picture. It goes on and it says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I'm gonna tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Then Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk and cried out and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. I think Jonah was happy to tell them, you guys are going to be judged. God is going to zap you 
Fire and brimstone is gonna come down from heaven and you're gonna be obliterated from the world. Yeah! Isn't that a nice prophet? It's like, you know, I don't want you to repent. Just die, all of you die. But that's what he did. It says, then, to his chagrin, the people of Nineveh believed in God, and they called a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he arose from his throne, laid aside his robe from him, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat on the ashes. Isn't that amazing? Here is a pagan king from a brutal group of people, but when he heard the word of the Lord, he repented. He was sincerely crying out to God for mercy. Amazing. Did that make Jonah happy? Actually, not really. So, it says, when God saw their deeds, that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning their calamity, which he had declared he would bring upon them. And he didn't do it. But then we see in Jonah chapter 4 how Jonah responded. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. Okay, imagine you are the mouthpiece of God. You are supposed to go to a country, tell them to repent so that they will escape this judgment, and they do. Imagine all of these people, even the king repents in sackcloth and ashes. Dude, you are the best prophet ever. And what do you do? You get angry. You say, God, why did you not zap them? And this is what he said. He prayed to the Lord and said, please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. Drama queen, uh, king, pala. I mean, what is this? The prophet is given a message to tell people so that they would not be destroyed and they repent and he is ticked off at God. And he said, Sabi ko And then they did. And I'm ticked about it. Do you understand? That's why I say Jonah has not repented. Because what was God's message to Jonah? Actually, he wanted Jonah's heart to be changed because he hated the Ninevites and God loved them. God had compassion for them. God's heart is that no one will perish, but all will come to repentance. No matter how evil, no matter how bad, God loves the people of his creation and he wants them to come into relationship with him. So it greatly displeased him, blah, blah, blah. But let me just give you, he gives a little object lesson to Jonah to help him see how wrong he was. First, it's very hot in this area of the world. In fact, during September, the average temperature 
in that area is 47 degrees. Anybody want to go there? So he is standing outside of Nineveh, overlooking the city, and so it's so hot, he builds a little shelter so that he won't be so hot. So he gets under it, and he's sulking. He's saying... And he's waiting for God to rain down fire and brimstone and destroy them. So he's sitting there and sulking and... Okay, Lord. And then God, in his grace, allows a vine to grow up over his shelter. So the vine grows up, and now he's got shade, and it's cooler, and he's so happy. It's like, yeah, this is so much better. It doesn't say anything to God. It just says, I like the shade. And then the next night, God sends a worm. And the worm comes and kills the vine. The vine dies, and now what happens to Jonah? Why? Because he's hot. He's probably hungry, maybe hungry. Okay? But he doesn't see the connection between what just happened to him and God's lesson. And this is where God brings it home. It says, Then the Lord said, You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who don't know the difference between their right and their left, as well as many animals? What's God's message? He said, You're con you are compassionate over these stupid little things like a vine, but you don't even care about 120,000 people that are going to die and be separated from me for eternity, but I have compassion on them, and you should also. That's the message of the book of Jonah. Most of us think it's all about a whale. It's not. The book of Jonah is about having compassion for people that don't know God. And that's what God wanted to teach Jonah, that he has compassion and Jonah needs to have compassion as well. The real message isn't just obey God, because in a way, Jonah did. In the end, when he was given the second chance, grudgingly and obviously with the wrong attitude he went, he obeyed, he fulfilled his mission, but that wasn't the real thing. He had to obey God from the heart. He had to have the same heart that God had. So what do we learn? What is the lesson? First, God has compassion for all people. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, <clears throat> Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Do you have the same compassion for people that don't know Jesus? We'll get to some specifics of that in just a moment. The second thing that we see is that even the people furthest from God can turn to him when called. 
the Ninevites were the least likely people in the world to respond to the message that God had for them. And yet, in mass, as a whole city, they repented of their sins and turned and worshiped God. Do you know that there are people all around the world today that we would have thought are the least likely people in the world to respond to the gospel? And yet, when the gospel comes to them in power, they turn their lives to Jesus. I wish I could tell you so many stories of what God is doing in places like Iran, in Iraq, other parts of the Muslim world, other parts of Asia as well. We're seeing revivals, we're seeing miracles, we're seeing people have visions and coming to know Christ because God is reaching those people and they're responding. And we see that Jonah did, didn't have God's heart for the lost. He's a child of Abraham. He thinks he's already arrived. He's a prophet, so he's already special. God spoke directly to him. He had a clear mission, but he didn't understand God's heart. What is God's heart? We see it at the very end of Revelation. Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. It says, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the Lord or before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands and they cry out with a loud voice saying, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God's passion, his compassion leads to the time that people from every tribe tongue, and nation will be standing before him, worshiping in heaven for eternity. That's the picture of God's compassion for the world. Every nation, all tribes, all peoples, all tongues, all standing before the throne. So who does God have compassion for today? Well, there are billions of people from other religious faiths who don't know who Jesus is. They don't even have a follower of Jesus that could tell them about the gospel. You realize that 87% of all Hindus, Muslims, and Buddhists do not even know a Christian that could lead them to Jesus. They just don't know anybody that is a believer. And most of them live in an area called the 1040 window. I'll just mention this now. Pastor Peter is gonna share a little bit more about this. But what is this 1040 window? It is from 10 degrees north latitude to 40 degrees north latitude, going from the edge of Africa to the edge of Asia. In that rectangle there, in that area, you can see there is only one Christian country. Guess what it is? The Philippines. Do you realize what an amazing opportunity we have as the only Christian country in the 1040 window, what a privilege we have to be the only representative of Jesus in this area. But 90% of the world's unreached people live within this area. Now, just to give you a little bit more background, the area that is in green is predominantly Muslim. The area in yellow is predominantly Hindu. The area in gray is predominantly atheist or non-religious. And that in orange is predominantly Buddhist. 
These are the biggest blocks of people that do not have a clear witness of the gospel. And those are the places that need the gospel more than anywhere else. So what are we doing to reach them? Well, that's why we have a strategy in CCF Beyond called International Missionary Partners. We work where there are very few believers in that 1040 window area among the big religious groups where there are very few Christians, where there is often hostility to the gospel. And we work with like-minded national leaders that we equip using, very similar to what we do here in Go Viral, a process called MC Squared, and we begin and sustain church multiplication movements. And God is doing some really amazing things. Let me just show you. Now, I hate to do this because this looks like we're just about numbers, but you should still rejoice about this. Imagine in 2018, there were 17,230 small groups and house churches that our partners had, been estab had established um, in their countries. That is an amazing number considering these are places where there are almost no believers. But imagine, even during the pandemic, in those five years, we went from 17,000 to 37,000 house churches and small groups. You can give God a clap offering for that. That represents hundreds of thousands of people. Now, again, we can talk about numbers. That doesn't really get you very excited for good reason, because it represents people. It is people whose lives have been changed. And I want to share just a couple of stories. One um, from a brother in a South Asian country. We'll just show a quick video, and then I will tell another story about another friend, and then we'll ask Pastor Peter to continue. South Asia is home to over a billion people who worship as many as 300 million gods. Before he became a Christian, Pastor Ray was a doctor with a humble practice in their village. As he was sleeping, he heard a voice calling him and then felt a pain all over his body. When he woke up, the first thing he thought about was reading the Bible he was given. He started with the book of Romans. Pastor 
Once he became a believer, he began sharing the gospel to the people in his village who, in turn, began persecuting him. Years later, he became a missionary and planted churches near the Nepalese border. They were able to reach 500 people, with 80 accepting Christ and making disciples up to the third generation. Our missionary partners have been training thousands of believers in multiplying churches and communities, resulting in tens of thousands of house fellowships. However, with over 1.4 billion people, it will require more than thousands of existing house fellowships to reach all of South Asia and all of the nations. It will require you. I'd like to share just one last story, and this is something that is hot off the presses. I just got a video from a dear friend. Uh, we will call him Mo, as in Mohammed, so you can kind of tell where he's from, okay? Um, he is one of our key partners in Northeast Africa. Several months ago, civil war broke out in his country. Hundreds of people in the capital died during the first wave of fighting. Although Mo was living in the capital city, at the time that the war broke out, he was conducting Go Viral slash MC Squared training in a country to the south. He was equipping people to make disciples, to plant churches among the unreached people in refugee camps along the border of the country. Because of limited communication in the refugee camps, he had trouble finding out what had happened to his family. His wife and seven children were living in a part of the capital city where the heaviest fighting was happening. Later, he found out that two of his children had been at a school in another area of the city and couldn't make it back home because of the intense fighting. He was able to get a message to us asking for prayer. We asked all of our CCF Beyond Prayer partners to pray for the safety of the two children. By God's grace, God answered our prayers. They made it home safely the next day. It took Mo nearly two weeks to get back home. There were no flights anywhere in the country, so he had to take an arduous overland trip just to get back home. When he arrived in the capital, it became clear that the fighting was not going to subside, and it was too dangerous for his family to stay there. So he and his wife and seven children fled to another city several hours away where they had been conducting go viral training. When he got there, he continued the training even though the civil war was going on around them. After finishing the training for the safety of his family, they continued to go further no north, hoping to enter another country as refugees. Along the way, he stopped at another city and continued the second phase of the MC Squared training there. 
He was amazed that in spite of the war, they were faithfully applying what they learned and were reaching out to people with the gospel. One of the trainees' stories was amazing. He accompanied several of the other trainees to do ministry in a local jail. Several years earlier, this trainee's brother was brutally murdered. The killer was apprehended, was convicted, and was sent to jail. To his shock, when the team went to conduct a fellowship in the jail, he found himself sitting next to the man that had killed his brother. He questioned the Lord, why is this man here? Pain and anger welled up inside him. In spite of the internal struggle, he heard the Holy Spirit speak to him clearly, telling him, you need to forgive this man. For a few moments, he hesitated, but he realized that the only way for him to minister with a pure heart was if he obeyed the Lord. So first in his heart, he told the Lord that he forgave him. But then he had to take the extra step and tell the man not only did he forgive him, but now he was his brother in Christ. He embraced the man who killed his brother. When he went back to the training, he told the people what had happened and, broke, and many of them broke down in tears. All of them have been affected by the war. Many of them have lost loved ones or had been displaced from their homes. They too struggled with unforgiveness against the people who had caused so much pain and suffering. But because of the obedience of this young trainee, they found the grace to forgive those that had caused that heartache. But that's not all. From there, Mo and his family traveled to the northern border of the country, and to their shock, when they got there, they found out th that the border had been closed. They were no longer allowing refugees to come in. So they turned around and had to travel 1,500 kilometers by dirt roads in the midst of bandits, in the midst of uh, rebels occupying the area, fighting, and then got to the border not knowing whether they would allow them to go across because that border was also closed. <clears throat> we got a message from him asking that we pray. And we prayed again. And when we prayed, God made a way for him and his family to get across the border. They went to another town some distance from the border where there was an airstrip. Now, you have to understand this area. I have been in places like this. It's not like the airstrips that we know. This is dirt. There's no commercial airlines that are coming in, no scheduled airlines, and he needed to get down to the capital of the second country. And so he asked us to pray. <clears throat> and once again, we prayed. We didn't hear anything from him for six hours. After about six hours, we got another message that he was now already in the capital city. God had sent a commercial plane that didn't have anybody in it and didn't have anybody planning to leave. Who does that? God does that. And his whole family and others that were stuck there were able to make it to the capital of the other city. You know, we saw so many answers to prayer. Yeah, you can give that a hand. Sometimes you think, oh, when we tell people, please pray for beyond, you don't realize that it impacts people's lives. We all have a part in what God is doing around the world. I'd like to ask Pastor Peter to come 
and share a few more of his perspectives so that we can hear from our senior pastor. Let's welcome Pastor Peter. evening. You know, I get excited when it's mission month. And uh, I told Jim, originally we were going to partner together. But then I said, uh, maybe he will take care of everything. But the Lord impressed upon my heart to share something with you. You may be asking, so what do you do now? What do you do after listening to all of this? Can I ask you a question? What was the last statement of Jesus before he ascended to heaven? Anybody? His last sentence, his last statement before he went up to heaven. Anybody? <laughs> Just try. Try. Yes. Go make disciples. That's good. The actual uh, statement before he went to heaven is found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Let me read for you, okay? Last statement is always important. This is what Jesus told his disciples. Everybody read together. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, even the remotest part of the earth. Now, every time you see the English word, but, but, what does that mean? Well, you better go back so you will know the context. Now, what is the context of Acts chapter 1, verse 8? Here is the context. Let's read Acts chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. All right, together. Pagod na ba kayo? Pagod na? I mean, uh, battery is low. Alright, let me give you the context now. Just like many Christians, they want to find out when is the second coming. Do you know people like that? That's their preoccupation. They like to study prophecy. They like to study when is Jesus coming again? Yes or no? Nothing wrong. But here's what Jesus is saying. They came together. They asked Jesus, is it at this time you are going to restore the kingdom of Israel. Because Jesus, when he was on earth, he talked about a literal kingdom. That he's going to establish the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven upon earth. And Israel is part of the kingdom. Notice the answer of Jesus. Seven. Everybody read. He said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs, which the Father has fixed by his own authority. You know what Jesus is saying? Don't major on these issues. It is not for you to know exactly the time set by God the Father. So I'm telling all of you now, if people ask us, why is it in CCF we don't spend so much time on prophecies, on the second coming? The truth is we do teach it. However, the real important lesson is this. Everybody, you repeat after me. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming very soon. Jesus is coming very soon. Be, ready. Be ready. 
That's it. Jesus is coming very soon. Be ready. The advantage of studying prophecies, it will scare you. It will probably, you know, wake you up into complacency, especially when you see what's happening to Russia, Ukraine. But the truth is this. We don't exactly know when Jesus is coming again. So don't be sidetracked. You know why? You can spend so much time analyzing end times. Is it before tribulation? Is it during tribulation? Is it after tribulation? Ladies and gentlemen, read now the next verse. What is important? But, everybody read now. But, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. Let me share with you a couple of observations. Number one, Jesus wants you right now to major on the major. What do I mean by major on the major? Major, what is important? For us, what is most important is you are going to be his witnesses. That is major. As to when, that's important, but that's not the major. So can you tell your neighbor, major on the major? Now, sa Tagalog, ano po ibig sabihin ng major on the major? Huh? Paul? Ano? Kung ano ang importante, yun ang importante. <laughs> Alright. Major on the major. You got to distinguish what is essential, what is not, what is most important, what is not. For us believers, the most important. He's telling you now. Number one, you need the Holy Spirit. Let's read that together. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Next Sunday, I'm going to speak more about the Holy Spirit. But most of us don't understand the Holy Spirit. Most Christians are living a defeated life. Your Christian life is not joyful because you don't have power. You may be a Christian. But you are not supernaturally empowered by the Spirit of God. You have not learned. How many of you have gone through GLC class on the topic of the Holy Spirit? Raise your hand. Excuse me. Marty, are you here? Marty, will you please stand up? Look at this flock, okay? One more time. You have studied already the GLC material on the Holy Spirit. Raise your hand. So many have not yet. So, Marty, I'm thinking we need to have a system whereby everybody can learn about the Holy Spirit. So, I'm going to talk about that some more. But right now, I have good news for you. You know, God will never ask you to do something without giving you the power to do it. So, He tells you the good news. What's the good news? Everybody, you will receive power. That word power is from what kind of word in the Greek language? That's where you have the word dunamis, dynamite. You will have amazing power. Wow. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You know, Holy Spirit's presence is one thing. But to be controlled and empowered by the Holy Spirit is another thing. You will learn the distinction. But right now, I have good news for you. What's the good news? God wants to empower you. Tell your neighbor, God wants to empower you. God wants you to give the power. The power to do what? By the way, do you need power? Do you need power to overcome temptation? Yes. Do you need power to be nice to people? Yes. Do you need power to be kind to people? Yes. 
Do you need power to be patient? Oh, we are the same. I need power to be patient. I need power to be kind. All right. So, so far, so good. So, the thing you need to understand is you got to major on the major. And what is major? You need the Holy Spirit. To do what? Look at that verse. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So, the importance of the Holy Spirit. To do what? To, please read. To be? You shall be my witnesses. Ladies and gentlemen, God did not say, you will be my lawyer. You are going to be my witnesses. Do you know that word, witnesses? That's where you have the word martyr. What does that mean? A witness is simply somebody telling somebody else what Jesus has done for you. You are a witness. You are a witness to what God has done in your life. That is why you cannot be a witness until you have first-hand encounter. You cannot go to a court and be a witness if you don't have first-hand information. The court won't allow you because what you have is hearsay. So you need to have a real encounter with Jesus. And that's why in CCF, I want to remind all of us, we are not promoting religion. We want you to have a real encounter with Jesus. Has God changed your life? Yes or no? So all of you have a witness. You simply tell people what you were before, how you came to Christ, and what Christ did in your life. See, I have a story to tell to the nations what God has done in my life. So when I give witness, when I give my witness, I tell people, once upon a time, this is my life. And then one day, I encountered Jesus. And then you share, how did you encounter Jesus? And then what did Jesus do? He changed my life. You cannot be a witness if you don't have an encounter. It's very hard because your story will be secondhand. So my advice is allow Christ to change your life and your witness will be powerful. You shall be my witnesses. Are you glad you don't have to be a lawyer? Which is easier, a witness or to be a lawyer? Very few lawyers will go to heaven. I don't know if that's true, but um, <laughs> in CCF, we have many honest lawyers, okay? But that's, they have a reputation, okay? Because somehow lawyers can twist facts, okay? But that's okay. That's not our point. My whole point is this. You don't have to twist facts. You just tell people what Jesus did for you. Amen? Amen. Now, where will you be his witness? Where? You shall be my witnesses. Notice the word? Both. This is what Jim emphasized before. Because many times, we think it's sequential. You first be a witness in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where you are, your home, your office, your Jerusalem. And then Judea, the circle gets bigger, perhaps your community. And then from your Judea, where do you go? Samaria. These are people you may not exactly like, but they are still within your reach. And then to the, everybody read, to the remotest part of the earth. Now, Jim is going to share with you later on, how are we going to get involved in all of these things? To be my witnesses, to the remotest, notice you have the word remotest part? Yes or no? And that is where we are missing. Now, Jim talked about the 1040 window. Let me repeat, that 1040 window 
if you look at those countries, it's amazing why God allowed me to be born in the Philippines and why you are born in the Philippines. You know what Jim said? The only Christian nation in this 1040 window, 10 degree north latitude and 40 degree, uh, Jim, north and south, right? And uh, what is that 40? Okay, what is 10? Bala na si Jim dyan. Basta alam ko lang, 1040. 1040. It's a part of the map that describes 90% of Muslims, 90% of Hindus, 90% of Buddhists. They live in our area. And that's why I'm looking at all of you. Hey guys, Filipinos are amazing. Do you know we are all over the world? We have rich people in the Middle East. You know why? Because our people are exported all over the world. And that's why we want, we want to help them. No, we, we have a ministry helping OFW be a witness for Jesus. Now, you can all be part of that. We will be needing a lot of volunteers. Once you understand what we are doing in this country, we will need volunteers. You may not realize this. We are now training 12,000 pastors. The poorest of the poor pastor in the Philippines. Their average income is only 1,000 pesos a month. How do you expect these pastors to live? 500 to 1,000 pesos. 12,000 of them. CCF has committed to finance all their training to equip these pastors. Praise God. Therefore, we are setting up a department to get volunteers like you guys to train these pastors. Believe it or not, some of you have more training than this pastor. This pastor, they have a heart. They want to serve God. But honestly, in terms of doctrine, many of them in Tagalog Malabo. If you ask them, are you sure you will go to heaven? Pag fill in the blank nila, they're not even sure. But they're pastors. That's why our job is to disciple people. Do you know Matthew chapter 28? You know what it says? Well, let's read together. People don't understand Matthew 28. As we finish, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Do you notice something? Every time I read this verse, I ask people, what, what's the main verb here? What do you think? Is it go? Is it make disciples? Is it baptize? Is it teach them? Look at the verbs. Go, make disciples, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe. So what's the primary verb? Huh, go? How many of you say go? Raise your hand. One, two, go. Three. Go. You, Mr. Go. You, you like go. Guys, everywhere I go, I've seen sincere people, they like the word go. No, no. The primary verb is make disciples. How do you make disciples? Go. Baptize. Teach them. But we miss one thing. Make disciples is a transitive verb. It must have an object. And the object of that verb is all nations. So we miss out in discipleship because our mind becomes so myopic. We think we make disciples only in our area. I suggest, my own philosophy, I start making disciples at my home. 
Imad, right? Every member a disciple, Ifad, every family a discipleship group. I start with myself, with my family, with the people you know, but don't stop. Because the object is make disciples of all what? That word nation is ethnos. It is not a political uh, entity. It has to do with people groups. Mga Ilocano, Cebuano, Mangyans. These are common culture. So ladies and gentlemen, what's the challenge today? Jesus tells us you will receive what? Power. So you need the Holy Spirit to do what? To be my witnesses. Where will you begin? In? It says both. In? Did you read that verse? In Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the end of the earth. As we close, I want you to notice something. How many of you know who invented the seat belt and the airbags? Do you know? Do you know who invented the airbags or the seat belt? You know, Jim read Revelation chapter 7, right? What is Revelation chapter 7? What does it say? Jim? After these things, I looked, behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation, all tribes, all people, all tongues. The Bible says that they will come. When everybody from all over the world, you cannot count, they will come to Jesus. You know what hit me, Jim? Without you, without me, God is going to do his work. Some of you are here. You just listen, but you won't participate. It's possible. But you're going to miss out on the greatest blessing. I don't want you just to sit here and just say, wow, nice. No, no. You better get involved. Because Matthew 24 tells us, you want Jesus to come again? This is how you do it. Matthew 24 tells us, and the gospel will be preached to the whole world as a, the word testimony is where you have the word martyr. As a witness. It's going to happen. Whether you participate, you don't participate, it is going to happen. The only question is, will you allow Christ through the Holy Spirit to empower you? So let me ask you a question. Who are the people you're discipling now? See, years ago, I never thought that CCF would become worldwide. Do you know because we do discipleship, our impact. Jim, would you say how many nations now? 60 plus? Whatever it is, my friend, I'm an ordinary person. I disciple the few. You're ordinary. You disciple a few. You will never know who you will disciple, and that person will disciple somebody else. You will never know. But let's all get on board. So, let me close with the story of Mercedes-Benz. You know, the one who invented the airbag is Mercedes-Benz. Forty years ago. But you know what Mercedes-Benz did? They shared their technology for free. 
with all car company. They were asked, why did you not charge them royalty or keep this a secret? Airbags. Look at what they say. Some things are too important not to share. If you ask me, the gospel is too important not to share. And that's why I share the gospel. I don't keep it to myself. The Bible says, you shall be my witnesses. It's too important just to keep to yourself. God bless you. Jim. Thanks, Pastor Peter. Um, I know that we've gone a little bit late, but hang on. I want to do just two more things. The first thing is I want to pray for all of us, that God would speak to us about how we respond. And then I'm going to explain to you how you can respond. And while I'm doing this, you have been given this little handout. Has everybody got one of those? Uh, I'd like you to get it out. Get it out. Come on. You didn't get it when you came in? Uh, for those that don't have it, please put your hands up, and we will get people here to uh, distribute it. Okay. So as you are doing that, what I'm going to do is I will go through this together with you, how you can respond and what you can do. But before we do that, I want to pray. Now, I know some of you are waiting for me to pray so that you can run, okay? Please don't run, because we still have one more thing to do. But I feel that it's appropriate, before we decide how we are going to respond, we need to pray for the proper response. Okay, let me just pray for us as we're distributing. Don't go anywhere. We've got one more thing after this, but I want to pray for you. Father, we thank you for what we have heard. Lord, I know that there are people here that are saying, you know, this is something that I can't really relate to. I myself, I don't know if I have a personal relationship with you, but I know I'm probably like the people in Nineveh. I am far from you. I probably don't even know you. If you're in that situation, I want to pray for you. And I want to give you the opportunity to respond to the message of God's love and forgiveness for you. If you don't know if you have a relationship with Jesus, I want you just to pray along with me as I pray this prayer. This is for you to express to the Lord that you want to have his forgiveness and a relationship with him. Just pray silently where you are. Lord Jesus, I am like the Ninevites. I am far from you. I rebelled against you. But I thank you for Jesus, for dying on the cross for my sins. Right now, I accept your free gift of forgiveness. Before you, I turn to you and I turn away from my lifestyle of rebellion. I ask that you would come into my life, that you would begin to change me, and Father, that you would make me the kind of person you want me to be. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. We'd love to stay connected with you, so make sure to subscribe to our podcast or join an Elevate group through chatting with us. See you at our next podcast.